Hello, and welcome to Fort Wayne Ballet's Kinetic Conversations. Our next few episodes of Kinetic Conversations are focused on our first main stage, entitled Opening Night. These three episodes each will feature one of the pieces on the show and delve into what makes each special, unique, and maybe give some backstory. So with that, our guest today is Cameron Basin. Cameron, welcome. Hi, thank you. It's great to be here. So Cameron, before we get into Italian Sweden Gerald Arpino, just tell us a little bit about you and your tie to this piece. I worked with Mr. Arpino early on when I first joined the company, and we spent a lot of hours in the studio together, choreographer, dancer, working together, and workshopped quite a number of his pieces, Italian Suite being one of them. So I was very sensitive to his movement quality. Arpino does a lot of side movement and very lush and very passionate and very terra-terra keeping the feet low to the ground, or he liked the legs really, really high. And we just had a really, really wonderful relationship workshopping quite a few of his ballets, certainly the ballets that he did in the 80s, and Italian Suite was one of them. Did you actually perform this piece? or I did, quite a bit. So with that, this program that we're putting together is what we call a repertory program, a mm-hmm. mix of, of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are all 20th century pieces, mid-20th century to later 20th century. But this one's a little bit different than the other two pieces, which we'll get into the differences in a second. But maybe describe for people what they might be seeing in Italian Suite and how it's put together. Yes. Italian Suite is a very lush, very passionate, and it is a ballet. It is uh, dancers running and jumping using full technique, uh, lots of arms and legs. The men are jumping, the the women are jumping, they're sweeping across the floor, they are partners, they are couples, they are solos, there's lots of activity going on. It's a piece that's about 23 minutes long. So there's a movement with couples, there are solos, there's a pas de deux where he lifts her up and he swirls her and drops her to the floor. But most of all, it's very lush. It's very romantic. It's very, um, uh, Arpino loved uh, exciting movement. He loved to entertain people. So in this sense that it's a real ballet ballet is very, very different from the other two pieces that you're going to see on the program. Well, and the music that he's chosen One of the things that were interesting about some of the other pieces that we'll see, Fancy Free being one of those, was a true collaboration with Jerome Robbins and Bernstein writing the pieces and working together. This is different in that Wolf Ferrari is not somebody he collaborated with, but but chose um, sections of the operas to do this with. How would you describe the choices he made with music related to maybe a relationship like the Bernstein and the Robbins situation where they were working together to create at the same time. It's a little right. different. And he actually did that a couple of times, worked with the, with the musician to create music. But this particular piece, Italian Suite, he loved the music. It was not a collaboration, of course, because the composer didn't exist at the time. Right. But as happened a lot of times with Arpino's works, he just had kind of a stock of music that he loved, that he knew at some point he wanted to do something with. And in the early days, again, working with him, sometimes we would sit in the studio and he would just play this music, the Ferrari music over, and he loved the feeling of it, the passion, the the elegance of it. He said, I can see it. I can see what I want to do with this music because it spoke to him. He loved the feeling of it. And he wanted to bring what he felt when he listened to the music to the stage, to the dancers. Well, and as you've described, it's fairly traditional ballet type of performance yes. of putting that together. But some of the works, even when they look that way, for example, we did the, the Pada de Ruth, mm-hmm. which has a backstory to it. It has a yes. beginning of a story to that situation, even though that may not be obvious to the person looking at it initially. 
this piece? Does it have anything like that? Or is it really just a love of the music and he wanted to put the movement to it? It really is just a beautiful piece of, of movement. He loved the movement quality. There are little relationships. I mean, Mr. Arpino was, um, I guess, famous for working with couples and bringing out sort of a passion and a sort of a romance of sorts in each couple. And that does exist within the piece, but the piece itself as a whole does not have a story. You can sort of make little vignette stories within it, but there's sort of an intimacy between this couple and this couple and this couple, and they're running around and flying across the stage, and then somebody will look back and they'll see another couple, and, and you sort of wonder, well, what are they thinking when they look at that other couple? You know, do they wish that they were part of that couple or not? So there's a little, a little bit of a story that you can make in it, but really it's just a, a sheer, lovely, exciting, energetic dance piece for the dancers and also for the audience. Well, you alluded in just a few of your other comments about signature elements for Gerald Arpino, and the other two choreographers also have things that are they're through lines. Not that all our pieces are the same, but things you look for. Besides the lushness that you talked about and some of the movement, what other things make it Gerald Arpino? What are the signature things that you say, that's an Arpino piece? Yes, in this particular piece, and, and, and Arpino was, uh, he was like a chameleon. He really adapted to so many different styles and types of dancing. But as I said, this one is more of a ballet type, but you'll see the speed first and foremost. When they move fast, they move fast. They jump, they fly. The ladies, they swirl their arms and swish their arms. There's a lot of partnering and leaning and, and sort of relationships that go on. Legs are flying across, up and down. They're all over the place. So you will see a lot of that. And what's kind of interesting, I mean, ballet is based on technique, but you don't really see the dance technique in this piece, you see the movement, you see the lushness, you see the romance, you see the energy, the flying, the, the running across the stage, the flying into the wings, the flying out of the wings. We were laughing today uh, in the second movement, and I said, it's like being shot out of a rocket. It's just so fast and so flying across the stage from zero to 100. It, there's no like 25, 50, 75. It's like one thing and the next. It happens so quickly. So you'll see a lot of those sort of uh, tempo changes within the piece. And this piece created in the 80s at a time when the Joffrey Company was in New York. Mm -hmm. um, the other two pieces on this program also were tied to New York in different ways. The Fancy Free created there when Robbins was actually at Ballet Theater, and then Agnes DeMille and the tie into with Three Virgins and a Devil. I'm curious, not only about the time when it was created in the 80s, but also that tie to New York, which is very unique, has its own energy, and how do you see that translating to maybe what he's creating at that time and maybe where Joffrey is today. Not that it's, mm -hmm. but it's it's a different period It's time. a different period, yeah. Certainly in the, I would say even from the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, New York was the place to be. That's where dance happened. I mean, not that there wasn't other dance happening in the world, really, and in the U.S., but New York was kind of that place to be. It's where Mr. Joffrey and Mr. Arpino, who co-founded the Joffrey Ballet, it's where they went, it's where they wanted to start the company, it's where they wanted to be, because there was just so much going on in New York at the time in Broadway, in dance, in, in modern dance, and there's so much happening. And I think they wanted to be a part of that. And the Tangan Suite was sort of a reflection of that. There was American Ballet Theater that was so classical. There was New York City Ballet that was Robbins and Balanchine. And then there was Joffrey that was everything else. And it was all in New York. It was the place to be and where everybody would go to experience all that was the art form of dance. So one of the other things that is interesting about this program, and it's a repertory program, which means, again, we have 
uh, little vignettes. We have we don't see one Swan Lake. We see maybe three ballets. We mm -hmm. see three different situations. But it also led to the conversation and questions about the creation of those various pieces. With Fancy Free, it's an Americana ballet. End of the war. It's uh, something new, something people see. When you talk about these 20th century pieces and also where maybe ballet is going to go, where dance is going, two of these are story-based. One is, is not. There has been a lot of time spent on pieces in the 20th century. They don't have stories. They're basically movement for the sake of movement or something. Where do you see the field going and what does something like this piece do in terms of helping push forward or keep a foot backwards? As you said, there's a lot of technique, there's history, but there's also places we want to go. Where do you mm -hmm. see that evolve? It, it's kind of interesting, and that's kind of the million-dollar question, I think, too, because they were all sort of wondering what's happening with dance. There's been this resurgence of appreciation and respect and desire for sheer dance technique to be used as a vehicle to express. Italian Suite sort of speaks to that in that time. I, I love to say that our Pinot Ballets are timeless, that they're just as relevant now as they were at that time because they are using dance technique but using it in a different way that's not, you know, traditional ballet ballet, but they move. But I do think that there is an interest that's kind of a, a resurging interest. There's so much kind of contemporary movement quality, which is so wonderful. But I think people are realizing that if they only do one thing, you can lose something else. Sure. And I think that what matters the most, and people are realizing that, that is that one enables the other. So that you need to have both to be able to do it all. And dancers now are more facile than ever. They can do very, very contemporary things and very classical things. But I think you can't forget about one or the other if you're going to be at the level that certainly Fort Wayne dancers and dancers of any leading dance company, ballet company, I should say, needs to be. You have to do it all. And I think that's an interesting point. One of the things that people, especially in a show like this, you will see different styles rooted in the ballet, but you'll see elements that you're not thinking you're going to see when you go to a ballet performance. Yes, absolutely. Which I think is nice for a repertory program. I've never been able to figure out how to call it anything else, and I know repertory is an awful way to, to describe it. But if you were to describe why a program like this, opposed to Swan Lake, and a lot of times people go to Swan Lake not because they love it, but they think they know it. Yep. This is a situation where you may not completely know any of these three pieces. Mm -hmm. But what would somebody who's deciding to try ballet for the first time, maybe listen to this podcast and said, I'm, I'm intrigued. What about a program like this do you think is unique and works to get people excited about to see dance? I think what's kind of wonderful to me, especially about a repertory program, you get a journey, you get a big yeah. adventure. You get to go experience something that's so classical and so sweeping and so lovely. And you, you may fall in love with that, but then you get these other two ballets that are very, very different, that are not ballet ballet, and they have stories to them. One is a very clear story, and the dancing is phenomenal. It's got a lot of Broadway feel to it, fancy free. It's got a lot of Broadway feel, and then Three Virgins is exactly, it'll make you, make you laugh. Who goes to a ballet and laughs? It takes you on this journey of emotions, and it's delightful. They're all, each one in their own way is very delightful and very fun and energetic, and I think that you get a taste, a good taste. Well, we're looking forward to the program, and thank you for being here today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you all for being with us today. Fort Wayne Valley will open its season with its program opening night, October 20th and 21st at the Arch United Center. You can purchase tickets by visiting Fort Wayne Valley website, artsticks.org, or calling the box office at 422-4226. Kinetic Conversations is brought to you by Fort Wayne Valley and Wayne Shop Productions. And if you'd like to receive notifications on future podcasts, 
please like the podcast and go to fortwayneballet.org to sign up for notifications on performances, podcasts, and more ballet news. You will also find a library of past episodes on our website in the menu of options. Until next time, I'm Jim Sparrow, and thanks for listening to Kinetic Conversations with Fort Wayne Ballet. has been a Wayne Shout production. Wayne Shout.